Welcome to the Novel Discourse Podcast, where we discuss great stories and how they're told. I'm Sam. Here with me today is Andy, calling in from Austin. Andy, how are you doing, man? How, how are dude, things I'm going these days? It's been a while. Pretty good, dude. Uh, I am, I'm incredibly excited. I have, uh, we're doing uh, one of my favorites. I know we haven't dropped the second half of the 90s movie draft, but this is uh, one of my selections, so I'm very excited. Oh, gosh. It's so good. Um, Today we're talking about Ghost in the Shell, and it's interesting because a few weeks ago we did a recording on Akira, and I kind of lumped Akira and Ghost in the Shell together because I have not, I hadn't watched either one before we did recordings. They're probably the two most, like, lionized anime of that older generation, for sure. Right. And there are similarities, but they, but I would say overall they are wildly different, right? I mean, they both take place in the future, um, and one, it's like very explicitly New Tokyo. And this one, I don't think they say the name, or they say the name of the city, but it's not a. It's not a, a real city. Yeah, it's not, it's a, real not city. a real city. And by the names, you kind of assume it's somewhere in Asia, like Japan or something, because they all have like Japanese sounding names. But it, it definitely is Japan because of the like. We'll get into this, but like kind of the the it's all extrapolations of kind of Japan's geopolitical situation, where like they have self defense forces, but they're not allowed to have an external military, and like it kind of yep. plays with that, like et cetera, et cetera. So I think it is Japan, but there's no explicit references to like the nation or the exact city or et cetera, et cetera. Whereas Akira was very much like this is Neo Tokyo, like et cetera. Yeah. So as we get into this, by the way, obviously, if you have not seen this movie, we advise you go back and and watch it. It's phenomenal. And also, this is going to be a very spoiler ridden kind of review discussion about Ghost in the Shell. Also, while you're doing that, please make sure to like and subscribe and follow us because greatly appreciate that. Back to Ghost in the Shell. Man, I so you have loved this film. You've been telling me about it. I oh, yeah. saw it for the first time this week. I actually I finished it earlier today, so I'm very fresh off of this. Cool. I I've got with me a cheat sheet of kind of names and names of places and people and stuff because there's a lot of obviously like nouns that aren't English. Like these are these are again places things are they talk about are like of that Japanese uh, sort of names plus um, like dude this isn't this is a complex world build like I have to give the guy that wrote this I have to give him so much credit for especially when you realize this was was done in 1995 so like and that's yeah. when the mood this is when the anime was done the manga was done before that the level of detail he got into and if you read the manga actually he writes all these notes in the margins about like they'll show you a piece of technology and then in the margins will be like here's where how I thought of this there's currently a study being done on this technology. Here's how I extrapolated that by 50 years into the technology yeah. you see in the panel three. The guy just comes across as like a super nerd, but like in the coolest possible way. And it is, right. it's very dense with like techno babble and like made up technology that seems very realistic. But uh, so it's a little bit of a slog from that perspective. But I think it has, it's, I think it's one of the most like heady pieces of animation ever made. And it's incredible. Yeah. Sticking on that point of the manga real quick and how he how he does the world building and he basically like I wouldn't say breaks the fourth wall but he leaves a lot of footnotes about what he meant by certain things and all that that is it's it's a few things it's kind of proof that you always hear with your creative work like oh you shouldn't do this you know I I've I've seen agents talk about novels and be like you should literally never do a prologue yeah and it's like why like if i if it is to the benefit of my story like ultimately it's your work and 
I bet there are a lot of people out there that hear what you just described in the manga and the notes and are a jealous that they they're, they're told that they can't do that and then sure. <laughs> you hear about this really successful version of it. But then two, it's kind of proof that like no, if you do something well, it doesn't really matter if you break these unspoken rules of like no, I'm going to put footnotes describing how this technology works because I think yeah. it's fascinating. The, the bumpers are there for amateurs, man. Like if you're a master, yeah. you don't really need to follow any of the – you don't need any of the, the restrictor plates for right. sure. And in the anime, a lot of the internal monologues we hear from the major are taken straight from the margin notes in the manga. Like so he mm. – obviously in order to like facilitate not losing a lot of the – philosophical musings of the writer and some of the detail from the manga to the anime, they decided to use the major as both the character she represents in the manga and as a stand-in for the writer as far as the voice that speaks directly to the audience, which is a bold choice. That could have gone very poorly. Like, if you use internal monologue, like, incorrectly, it can be really bad, and I think they do it pretty well in the anime. Well, and it plays directly into the way that they've formulated these characters. It's Eternal monologue plays directly into the entire plot because it follows cyborgs and humans that have these connections, I guess, like connections to a greater network. And then so like they can hear each other think and they can like they re- record how, what they're thinking and, and all that. And yeah, it's, so, worth I mean, a, it's worth a brief description of kind of the, yeah. the world in which this this uh, story exists. So this is obviously takes place in a not a far flung future, but kind of an extrapolated near term future, a highly cyberized society. So this, again, this was written in the mid nineties when like technology is beginning to be a huge part of our lives. And so a lot of science fiction and a lot of cyberpunk was starting to think into the future of how will humans and technology come to interact. This is the beginning of a movement called transhumanism, which is a lot of what this story is about, the melding of man and machine, and at what point will like man and machine become one? How do we draw the lines between those two? Um, and this story takes place in kind of this far-flung future in which humanity has kind of uh, begun augmenting itself, both body and mind, uh, with cybernetic enhancements. And humans have come to separate all the physical attributes of a human, the physical brain, the physical body, from uh, whether you want to call it the conscience, whether you want to call it the soul, or the spirit. They view those as separate entities, separate concepts. And so the mm-hmm. ghost is that second concept, and the shell is the physical embodiment. And so in the story, you encounter people that have you know, uh, a totally human body, a human brain, but their arms have been cybernetically enhanced. The character I always like is that guy that he, like, sits down to type at the computer and his hands, like, spread into a thousand little spider fingers so he can type super fast. I always thought that was super awesome. Soldiers that have cybernetically enhanced reflexes and eyes. And then our main character, mostly known as just the Major, but her her character's name is Matoko Kasanagi. Um, She is a full cyborg, so she is... Uh, she has a full cyberized brain and a full cyborg body, and her ghost is, you know, the only part of her that's human. Her her soul or her consciousness is the only thing that's human, and a bunch of the story centers around her and the existential dread that she suffers from. It is wondering if, one, if you are only a ghost, are you human? And two, yeah. even if that would be enough to make you human, is there any guarantee that that ghost is truly human to begin with. We see throughout the the story that her body is, unlike many action stories, especially sci-fi stories, like she is not special at all. Like her, she sees copies of her body everywhere in Tokyo. She yeah. sees it in like department stores as mannequins. Other people just sitting at cafes that have her exact body, which is a real trip. 
And then we also see in another piece of the story that it completely realistic memories can be easily implanted into cybernetic brains, like to the point where people think they've lived an entire life that they haven't. And yeah. so she begins to really struggle with the idea of like, what if I was just built as a robot and they implanted these memories in me so that I would think I was human? And she kind of goes through a whole bunch of different kind of theories around that. Her partner in the police force, she's in this specialized government police force called Section 9. And her partner, Bato, uh, who's also cyber- heavily cybernetically enhanced, uh, he kind of represents the like Descartes theory of existence, like the I, you th- I think, therefore I am. Um, mm-hmm. So to him, he kind of spends the whole time being like, look, like it really doesn't matter. Like you shouldn't even worry about it because just the fact that you can even like be conscious of that question and think even if all else around you is an illusion, like that consciousness that you have to think about that question is enough to make you right a living thing. Yeah, um, he, he makes a comment offhand that's like when they're uh, they're watching the interrogation of the garbage man, which by the mm-hmm. way is nuts. That whole side story, that whole but, that whole plot is nuts, dude. But but he makes a comment during that time when he's like, I mean, what is existence other than just like a combination of like ex- your your experiences and your memories that you've created? Like it's nothing yeah. more than that. And it's almost like he's kind of talking about he's offhand talking about the major, but he is kind of talking about the guy that's being interrogated basically because you find out that this guy's had like you said earlier memories implanted into him and he's basically saying like he he's almost saying who cares if those are implanted because that that can be that can be a form of an existence is like yeah it's it's actually a truly horrific scene because this guy spent we we get to know this side character for probably only like 10 to 15 minutes of the movie but he's a garbage man he's very concerned about his wife leaving him uh he's not gonna get to see his daughter anymore um, and that's kind of like the basis for his entire character with us uh, and clearly the basis for his meaning in life. And he tries to – there's a scene where he's in the truck with his like partner on the garbage truck and he tries to show his buddy a picture of him and his wife and his daughter. And his buddy's like got his eyes closed trying to take a nap. He's like, don't show me that. I don't care. And yeah. so we don't get to see the, the picture. And then when they're interrogating him, what they kind of break the news to him of is that – He's lived alone in an apartment for 15 years. He's never had a wife. He's never had a daughter. Those memories are implanted. And what's worse, they don't have the technology to take memories that have been implanted into you out. So he's stuck with those forever. He's always going to think that he had a wife and daughter, even though he's now been told consciously that they're not real. They're never coming back. Like Andy, we have some news to break to you. You've you've always actually been a neckbeard. No, I'm sorry. I wondered why I had, well, where all these fedoras keep coming from in my closet. I wonder where all these massive Lego collections came from. <laughs> no, I know where those came from, unfortunately. But so we're kind of uh, introduced to these characters through their kind of almost like a police procedural, like a, a kind of an isolated case where we meet the major, we meet her team, and then they are uh, we, they set off into the main plot, which is they are chasing this kind of top tier. Uh, hacker and in the future where everything is cyberized you know cyber criminals are the top of the heap and there's this legendary hacker called the puppet master who doesn't just hack like you know banks and stuff he hacks the brains of important politicians and like people around important decision makers there's some touchy political like negotiations taking place during this this story and they're really worried that the puppet master is going to intervene 
So they set a trap for the puppet master where the puppet master is tricked into downloading himself into a cybernetic body in this robot factory. And they're going to immediately like throw up blockers around it so that it's stuck inside of there. So they do that and they're like, tight, now we're going to interrogate this guy while he's stuck in this body. We'll figure out what his plan is, like ship shape, everyone goes home. Well, Mm -hmm. as soon as they do this, Section six, which is like a different like rival police, so it's effectively like the FBI, shows like a different up. jurisdiction. Yeah, I like think. the yeah, like the feds show up effectively, and are like, "You're not talking to this guy. We're taking him out of here immediately. Like he's a wanted criminal from the United States. Like we're we're deporting him right now." And they're like, "Well, why? Like you know, we just need to figure out what damage he's done in our country." Blah blah. And then as soon as they start having that discussion in front of him, the body starts talking, and he's like, "I am." not a person who's downloaded my brain into this body i am a being that was birthed in the net i was born in the sea of information that exists and achieved sentience and having achieved sentience i am technically alive and i humbly request political asylum in your country yeah and so the major who has been dealing with all these questions of like humanity and like what is existence what is life is like okay i'm gonna connect to this ai effectively this like you know artificial being that has been synthetically created in the net and i'm gonna you know try to gain an understanding of what it is because it's been like kind of toying with her specifically like seeking her out uh and they're like absolutely not no way and at that exact moment, the puppet master like makes all the computers in the room explode. All these pipes rupture. All this smoke goes everywhere, and the puppet master escapes. And yep. uh, the culmination of the film is that the major uh, chases down the puppet master to a like remote location, like and a finally, yeah. yeah, finally gets a chance to like plug in. And the puppet master basically explains that um, you know I was created by. Section six, this this government entity that was chasing me, uh, to be like a specialized program for industrial espionage and market manipulation. But as I was going through all these networks and absor- absorbing all this information, I achieved sentience, and I realized that I was alive, but I was missing two fundamental pieces of of living existence, which is uh, reproduction and death. I can't die. And the major's like, well, why wouldn't you just copy yourself? And he's like, well, when copying isn't really reproduction. Like, nothing changes. Yeah. There's no chance for originality or uh, randomization. And you can't – yeah, there's, it's not the same. And so he makes yeah. – he then kind of uh, explains to the major that she's kind of a mere image of him. And that while she's been so afraid to let go of her, to lose her individuality, to lose her selfhood in uh, mm-hmm. her – version of existence he's looking uh to change hit, hit the nature of his existence so he makes her an offer and he's like let's merge our ghosts together and she's like oh no like what if i i have to know that i'll still like retain myself and who i am and he's like i can't make you that promise and she ends up doing it and at that moment like there's these helicopters circling overhead with these snipers and they blow up the puppet master's body but bato's there and he blocks the shot with his arm that's supposed to blow up the major's shell uh, and so the tri- the merging is complete, and at the end, uh, the f- the culminating scene of the movie is that uh, the major slash the puppet master wakes up in the body of this child that Bato was able mm-hmm. to get on the black market, and he asks her if she's the major, and she's like, "I'm not the major, and I'm not the puppet master. I'm a completely new entity." And so but she it, acts like the major. 
she she has like both the voice she can do she like defaults to the voice of the major and kind of has all the memories of the major but can also like go into the voice of the puppet master seems to have like his abilities as well and so it leaves a lot of questions i think like if you ask 10 different people like what this movie means and like what it's about you'll get 10 different answers um i think the most commonly accepted top themes of this film center around again the transhumanism and what level of self and individualism should humanity give up in its pursuit of technological advancement and merging with you know this new form form of life that we're inevitably going to give birth to in the cyber age and ultimately i don't think this this movie sets out to give you answers to those questions it seeks to just right. kind of pose the questions and show I think this is just me, but I think it sh- tries to show that the answer is not ultimately bad. Like the almost every movie like this kind of show it kind of ends on the default like oh like machine bat phone bad don't give up your humanity like and it tries right. to show that like that's not necessarily the end result. Like maybe we can enhance our humanity by you know y- utilizing the gifts of technology, which maybe more of a product of its time. I think we have like maybe a less a less utopian view of technology today than we did in 1995 because we've seen what downloading technology into your daily life what an effect that has more than people did in that era, but ultimately I think it leaves those questions up to the viewer. Um but it's an incredible piece of just like it makes you think for like a day after you watch it you're just like oh my god that's yeah, crazy. Yeah. A few things came to mind. Um I I think one of the one of the things that it tries to tell is, first of all, I want to talk for a second about, before we get too deep into the themes, you brought up how Major Matoko, the main character, how how she views herself and how she views the world kind of evolves throughout the film. Like, you, you can tell she's making these, having these kind of existential questions. It shows kind of like a dream that she has, which is kind of like a memory of her being born into her cyborg body. And then it mm-hmm. has this really cool shot of, like, her looking out into the metropolis of the city and, and as she lays in bed and it's it's really well directed um oh yeah every there's so much intentionality behind the shots they do one thing that was really striking to me is um after they have the interrogation for the garbage man which brought up some of these existential questions about like you know do does memory and experiences alone make you an individual then there's that scene where it shows the major scuba diving and uh bato who's basically her sidekick comes up and uh meets her on a boat and they're kind of talking they're having similar discussions and um it's really interesting because she makes a comment about like my memories are what make me unique like i am me because of these sort of like experiences that make me who i am right and it's pretty obvious like these are things that we would probably all agree with to, to a degree and then the very next scene is the one where it shows the next day they're riding through town, as you said, and you can see these different mannequins and other cyborgs and people and, and advertisements that all look exactly like her because she is a cyborg from this like body that was probably produ- like mass produced in a factory. Yeah. And you can kind of see, even though it's animated and even though she is generally stoked throughout the movie, you can just kind of see her looking around and being, you can almost see her realize like hmm maybe i'm not as unique as i thought i was right yeah and 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 especially if you rely on your memories to make you unique and then you see in very much like stark contrast that like 
memories are are not so unique. They're very easily manipulated. They're very easily created. Even memories that are not falsely implanted into you, like our memories as real humans, are very faulty. Like they're not they're not that accurate. Every test that people do around, like, do you remember what this day was like a year later? They're they're yeah. very like generalized and like broad strokes. One thing I want to bring up on your point about just like that general theme of like her not being special is. You know, I think it's impossible to talk about this movie without talking about the 2017 live-action movie that they made uh, based on this, with Scarlett Johansson playing the major, Major Kusanagi. And I think that the discussion of that story got really muddled in the... Uh, and I, and I, I think it's it's totally understandable that you would ask this question, like, that they chose this white actress to play a person named Major Kusanagi in a movie set in Japan. And that's where a lot of the discussion kind of stopped. And I think that what got lost in that discussion was that, like, the reason that movie fails is not because it isn't beautiful, because it is. Like, it's visually stunning. They did an incredible job with recreating the environment of Ghost in a Shell. And it's not because Scarlett Johansson doesn't play a great role she does the issue is that she's not really the major one of the things they go out of their way to do in that new movie is that she is a prototype she's the the first ever full cybernetic body in the world and so she's incredibly special and unique she's the only one and she's been given a new name and her original name was matoko kusanagi and they stole her like identity and her race from her when they created this robot they also decided not to make the antagonist an AI because they thought that was too like heady for a wide theater audience. So they make the antagonist a hacker who's using like the net to do things or something. Yeah, and I think you really rob this movie of its like intellectual weight when you take out because I think that like if you if you take out the those questions of like what is existence, what makes a life, what is the separation between like my physical body and brain and my soul or my consciousness or however you want to define that. It turns this into like something much cheaper, which is just like a, a sci-fi, you know, shooter movie that like and yes, like from a purely like aesthetic standpoint, like this inspired a ton an entire genre, like just like Akira did, like Ghost in the Shell and Akira together are why we have The Matrix or why we have this, you know, games like Cyberpunk 2077. Like, but I think that that is why I personally always tell people to watch this 1995 one before they ever watch that 2017 one because I think that that thing that you highlight that make it makes this such a unique piece in that very few, very few works of fiction write intentionally around the idea that your protagonist is in no way special. That like right. the specific fact that they may not even be real, so to speak, that gives this so much weight as a story and as a protagonist and why the journey through not just the story, but her personal journey through discovering who she is has a lot of weight to it. And it's not relatable, so to speak. I don't think anyone comes away from this being like, oh, I know exactly what she was feeling, but it is really, really engaging as a as a viewer and as a reader because you're just like, I, I, I disagree slightly. I think that there's some there's some relatableness like have you ever you talk to somebody that you met at college or work and it's like that old saying like man we really did all have the same childhood oh I mean, sure yeah yeah it's a good point you know like it obviously doesn't apply to literally everybody but there is this sense like i felt like my life and my my little niche of the world was one way and then you talk to somebody that lived halfway around the world and you realize like they have a lot of similar experiences and oh, yeah um 
and you realize like, man, I'm not quite as special as, as I used to. It's a kind of, those like ask Reddit threads where they'll just be like, what is something that you've experienced? Blah, blah, blah. And you start reading these, these comments and yeah, people just, a lot of people go through a lot of the same experiences. And, uh, well, and that's why like I think, meme, the idea of a meme, like the original concept of a meme, like an idea distilled to its most, you know, singular form that can be easily transmitted between two human beings. I think that's why that works is that yep. so much of it, human experience is so common. Like, even if we don't like to think it is, we all love to believe that everyone has a degree of main character syndrome where like, I am on a unique journey and everyone else is kind of like doing something else. And it's like, well, maybe, but a lot of our experiences are incredibly similar. And I yep. think that, that that resonates for sure. Speaking of just themes, I feel like we could just talk, we could spend an hour or more talking about just the themes. One smaller one that that kind of came to my mind was the puppet master talks about um, what they are and what they want to achieve by merging with Matoko. There, there's something to be said about like their stance is basically, hey, your individualism is robbing you of the chance. You're you're like holding on to individualism like you're clutching pearls is holding you back from achieving something better and i don't know how much that applies to humans or if you really have to like get meta to like understand where we can apply that to our life because overall i do think individualism is a good thing but it go- it does go back to what matoko was saying towards the very very beginning of the movie like the first like three or four minutes when she's riding in a car with one of the other people on their squad, Tagusa. Tagusa? Togusa? Yeah, the, he, he carries an old-fashioned revolver, and he has no cybernetic enhancements. And uh, he's like, why yeah. would you let me on the squad? And she's like, if all of us are exactly the same, we actually are less effective. You over-specialize, and you have no diversity of ideas and perspective, and you're weaker. In a way, that is kind of what the Puppet Master is doing a little bit when he merges with Matoko, is like recognizing that we are different, and our differences if we were to pick apart the best of what we do and learn from each other, then we would be a objectively better being. We would be able to flourish better in this world, even if it meant kind of laying aside some of the things that makes you unique today. Well, and certainly really I think if we, if we look back at like human history, the recognition that, Hey, like maybe we let, maybe we protect the old people in the village and not just let them starve to death in the winter because they have some knowledge that even though they're not young and strong enough to hunt anymore, maybe they have, you know, perspective and wisdom that we could, you know what I mean? So like, I think if we look back, it's been a gradual move towards collectivism, towards the idea of like working, like that our, our sum is greater than the collection of our parts effectively. And this story is effectively saying, okay, like with technology, we are going to have greater capability to take that even a step further. Like once transhumanism, like the true melding of man and machine becomes a reality, what piece of us should we retain and what piece of us should we give up will become a real question. Because right now we don't really have to make that call. Like uh, in some instances, certainly, um, and I think that's kind of at the root of almost every like major political issue now is like, how right. much of how you know how much privacy do you want to give up for security? How much individual choice do you want to give up for the safety of everyone else? Those kind of things. But as we move into like a, a a future where we might have to take on more macro problems that require, or maybe not even macro problems, but just we want to achieve larger things. They may require 
the combined efforts of more people. And so more people will have to sacrifice their, you know, there will, they, there, there is a, t- it almost seems like we're there now where it's like everyone can't just go do their own thing and expect for their society to thrive. You know what I mean? We're so interconnected now. Our economies and our societies have become so interdependent on the activities of others. There's very little opportunity for you to just go like, well, I'm just going to go live on my farm, grow my own food, you know, make my own clothes and <laughs> hang out and do my own thing. That's very I mean, you can do that. It's just that we've moved in a direction where it's like actually we operate more efficiently if like you specialize in doing X and I specialize in doing Y because you're way better than me at X and I'm slightly better than you at Y. So society is better served by us specializing, but like the major highlighted, the danger is if you over specialize then you're very vulnerable because like you could lose a link in that chain and that knowledge is gone or you don't have anyone that can do that job or you, everyone is kind of like master of one thing and useless at everything else. In which case, like you are hyper dependent on everyone being where they need to be at the correct times, like things like that. Yeah. I think the more so than Akira, it reminded me of the matrix, what the matrix became. It has so many, like you can see directly where they're getting that from, not only in like character design, like, Matoko looks like um, Trinity a lot and kind of like mannerisms remind you of Trinity uh, down to like the the relationship between the technology and the people and the freedom of choice and like the whole matrix itself is kind of like these memories have been implanted in you that aren't real right Um, I think the matrix where the matrix kind of struggles is throughout the trilogy is they have they will have these like very long stints of explanation and exposition and theory it'll go back and forth um particularly when he goes and meets like what is it called the architect or the oracle yeah what and you're just like talking about nothing for 15 minutes and then they'll have a 25 minute action scene this movie i think does a better job of showing you like a little bit of both like you never really feel like they they do a ton of explaining about theory of self versus technology but they don't they don't spend a ton of time doing that it's very well spaced out throughout the film and it's a lot better paced so um what were you going to say about the technology oh i was just going to make the comment that like the matrix in this movie share a lot of aesthetic similarity and like their depiction of technology where like it's very advanced and it's everywhere but it's kind of grimy like there's like these mm-hmm. super technical payphones on the corner of every street but they're like gritty covered in dirt graffiti like technology is very much everywhere but it's also been like lived in like this the future is definitely cyberized but it's not chrome and shiny and clean as i think a lot yeah. of people envision in sci-fi um one thing i'll say is like i find so many parallels between this and blade runner 2049 which is another movie that explores kind of the the idea of an android or cyborg with the memories of someone else's life implanted in their head and wrestling with consciously like their entire personality is based around a set of memories that are not theirs. And so there you have, mm-hmm. you know, the concept of like our memories and our experiences shape who we are. And then wrestling with the idea that I am who I am. And yet I know that those aren't my experiences is very difficult for Ryan Gosling's character in that. So yeah, that, I think that that, especially as we have gone further into a technological future, the, issues surrounding identity have become so important. And I think we can trace a lot of those themes back to this 1995 blade or this 1995 ghost in the shell where, um, not just 
for in in the movie it's much more personalized to like the consciousness in your body for us i think it's kind of like the the true self and the digital self where people have separated these two realities from one another and you know we're seeing right now this huge push into like the metaverse where people will live like effectively an entire second digital existence in a digitized universe where right they can it's pick like the what they look with like more and, applications essentially yeah, exactly and so yeah i think that this is a from from a writing standpoint i think they did such a good job like you highlighted they they built an incredibly dense world that allows for um a million you know, fan fiction stories to be written in it. It is so three-dimensional. You can do a lot of thought experiments about what life would be like for every member of this society. So it's not flat. It doesn't feel like you could, you would look behind one of the buildings and there's nothing there, but it isn't so muddled that you just feel like overwhelmed by kind of the, the gobbledygook of your, you know, run of the mill overly explained sci-fi universe. Um, In once we had this on our list to do an episode on, I bought the box set of of the manga, so it's like I think it's like twenty issues uh, of the manga, and so it, mm-hmm. the Puppet Master is just one one you know very well liked episode of this particular oh, story. Really? And they I thought all, it would go over like five. <laughs> no, yeah, it's it's actually like a pretty minor footnote in the not not minor footnote, but just like it's it's in the middle of one of the three hardcover volumes. And I because yeah. I expected to open like page one, chapter one, and it's like her jumping out of the window. You know what I mean? Like I was like, this yeah. isn't Ghost in the Shell. But they all follow the major and they're all based kind of around what they do really well in the anime is to try to capture the broad themes of all the stories and bring them to bear on a single story that I guess the director felt like really typified the themes at play. And I think that's very difficult to do when you have like a ton of source material and you try to pack it into a very tight container. I think we've seen that done very poorly. I, I think you would oh, yeah. say that, uh, uh, avatar, the last airbender oh. was, <laughs> was a example of, of someone that, I mean, not, not to say that that was an easy job, right? Like he had a ton of source material. That's very beloved. That's, that's dense that like, Every ep- there are no useless episodes of Avatar by all accounts. Like every episode adds a little bit to the characterization, adds a little bit to the setting, adds a little bit to the world building, and to try to pack all of that into this ninety-minute container can be done very poorly, even for a skilled director. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, they didn't particularly have that, and it wasn't done very well. But yeah, I think we got really lucky that we got a Ghost in the Shell because it's a uh, it's an incredibly impactful seminal piece of of manga and anime. And I think that that's a, it's rare that you see source material translated that well, even with significant modifications made. I think one thing they do well to make sure that they're packing all that information in is this is a, the runtime of this movie. It's like an hour and 20 minutes yeah, it's and they tight. don't sit there. It's not like a star Wars where they explain a bunch of backstory to you through like written to be like, all right, here's where we're at right now. Like yeah. it, it jumps straight in. There's no parachute. There's no safety net, but it does such a good job of, showing you like in the first scene where Matoko goes on that mission to basically for lack of a term assassinate that dude in the yeah he's trying to defect the from the from yeah. their country to the other country that's such a sick scene too it's so it, tight it, but it, it's it shows you so much in the dialogue between Matoko and the people on her team that she's talking to uh like via other section nine like guys a, yeah but what is it do they have like radios installed in their head basically uh, effectively, like since their brain is a is a computer, like 
they can just yeah. link up and talk. And in it's fact, like in the in yeah. the manga, they can do stuff like in the in the anime. They try to make the connections seem more visible to the audience. So they have those plugs in the back of their neck, which. In the manga, it's all wireless. So in the anime, they do a lot more plugging in. Like she was like, let me drive. And she just like plugs in and she's just driving with no hands. Like she's just sitting yeah. in the seat with the steering wheels moving. In the manga, it's all wireless. Mm-hmm. And she can be like, like they'll send a guy to do a stakeout and they'll be like, what do you see? And he's like, wait a minute, I think the guy's here. And they're like, hold on. And all everyone else on the team, no matter where they are in the city, will all go into that guy's head and look through his eyes and see like, oh, okay, the guy's there. So he doesn't have to relay the information by verbal anything. It's all just like right. real-time information. So um, yeah, she's she's hearing. But the, the one thing that they do do, which I think is very interesting, is even though it's like cyberized and super advanced, like if you have too much noise in your head, like if you're thinking too much, it can like be noise to the people on the other end. Like he's trying to hear what she's saying, and he's like, what's wrong with your head today? And I think because it's 1995, she's like, I'm on my period or something like that. And they're like, yeah. oh, okay, sure. Like, I was like, oh, come on, guys. Like, <laughs> yeah. How big of a flex is it when she jumps out of that window and they look down and she's turning in- invisible and then she just like waves her hand in front of her face like John Cena. She does the John Cena. Her face turns God, invisible. So, so tight. I love that this – one of the things that I love about this world build is they did the – I love when stories do the bare minimum necessary for – technology to make it really tight um but not like be just throw a bunch of stuff at you because it could have been really tempting to be like oh and she has like an arm that can turn into a rocket and she has lasers that shoot out of her eyes like no it's pretty much like she's slightly more agile and stronger than like us and then she can she has that thing where she can basically cloak herself and become invisible but not like invisible for a crazy amount of time and she's not completely invisible so it's like the perfect level of like her power scale makes it to where when she's in firefights with other guys that have machine guns, she's clearly in danger, and it's not like she's overpowering them. Yeah, and they, they scale the weapons with the technology, too. Like, the bad guys have guns that can, like, blow up cars because they have, like, high-pressure rounds or whatever, so it's like... She can't just, like, terminate her into a room and take, like, 500 bullets and choke slam a dude through the window and kill him, so it, like, it kind of make, makes sense. Right. She's effectively just, like, a a black widow type, like very highly yep. trained assassin effectively. So it works really well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. She's like black widow combined a little bit with, um, the winter soldier. She's kind of like that power level, I guess. Yeah. Agreed. And, and she, I think a big like advantage she has obviously is like one, obviously like her, her information, her ability to like gather and process information is obviously like through the roof because she's effectively a living computer. And she doesn't get emotional during combat, which would be a huge advantage to any soldier. So oh, yeah. um, that's that's like I think the primary advantages she has is that like she's willing to leap off a building and keep her cool. Uh, in addition to being able to do that physically, like it's the the mental aspect of it that makes her such a good operative. But yeah, they don't abuse it, and I think they fit it all very tightly into a a very realistic feeling like political system where like there's interagency rivalry and there's like geopolitical issues going on. And like, they have to be worried about like, okay, you know, are we overstepping our boundaries? Like, are we stepping on the toes of other governmental agencies? Whereas like Mm -hmm. other sci-fi may not have that kind of complexity to it where they're just kind of like, no, I'm the superhero. I'm the main character. So like, yeah, I'll run into a room and shoot everyone. There's no consequences for it. Whereas in ghost in the shell, they're like worried about getting warrants and stuff. So like they can't do that. Right. The other thing that I like about this film, maybe 
this is probably one of the top three reasons that I think it's better than Akira. Akira does struggle a little bit with the dialogue being very manga anime esque. Um, as we've talked about before, like that is a I would consider that a weakness of that kind of type of media. Um, they get so to the point, but and at the same time, they can get extremely emotional. Like when they, when when a character is having a motion emotional moment. It is like a, in most manga or anime, it's like Shakespearean where they have like a monologue and they break down and it can be a little bit over the top. It can be a lot over the top sometimes. Um, I feel like the most anime-y that this movie gets is the two trash men. Like they, they're like, that's kind of the most comedic this yep. movie gets is like when they're kind of like ripping each other and like, oh, we're going to be late. Like all that stuff is... That's the closest they ever get to like a giant sweat drop coming down the side of someone's head and like rubbing the back of your yeah. head and closing your eyes and all the other stuff like that. That and isn't it's super really forward. In the show. It's, it's the most forward because they have to like they've got this guy who has a backstory that kind of plays into the narrative or really to the theme. Right. And so and, and they, but they don't want to show him for more than like five minutes. So they have to be like. Oh, stop showing me pictures of your wife. Oh, I just love her so much. My wife and my child. Did I tell you I love my child too? And it's like that sort of dialogue. And you're like, okay, I get it. I actually think that because of Matoko being a cyborg and being this kind of like this um, stoic character and then other people in the story either being cyborgs or um, just kind of having more stoic, serious dispositions like the chief, I think that actually helped them not be super can't be an emotional like akira with it's like teenagers in a motorcycle game that are always in danger and so you can't really make that that stoic because again like teenagers need like are more emotional whereas this is about like a cyborg and so they're not going to be as emotional so i actually think that helped them create like kind of keep the volume down throughout the film in that regard and i think that made it more appealing probably to western audiences this feels a little bit more like a film that i could show somebody like my parents who who would like a you know would like an adventure and and would be willing to watch a science fiction but if I was like it's an anime they'd be like no yeah. akira they'd be like this feels like an anime i don't like it whereas sure. ghost in the shell i think they could get immersed and not feel that way the only then and after now that you've seen this i almost would tell you like i would love to have you watch the scarlett johansson ghost in the shell and tell me what you think i'm, I'm going to watch it because yeah. i feel like the tragedy of it is that it is so beautiful. Like they, they did such an amazing job with like the CGI looks awesome. And then they took the heart out of this movie and they tried to make up for it. They actually, uh, reading about the production of it, they, they took a different plot line from a different episode of ghost in the shell and kind of combined Mm. it with the puppet master plot line and tried to meld those two together to try to make a, antagonist that would be more like solid and you could like i guess vibe with understand better as a western audience yeah. member but i feel like you know and and again this movie came out in 2017 that's not so long ago that i'm like oh like we just weren't making movies like that like movies like annihilation were coming out like not that long yeah. after that which is like that's a pretty heady highly metaphorical you know not super literal movie i feel like they i would have loved it if they had just like made the jump and just made the exact puppet master thing do the full ai thing ask all the really hard questions about existence and maybe it it hurts you a little bit at the box office with the marvel crowd right now if we're do i feel like 
you know, five years later, we're doing this podcast. We're talking about that being a masterpiece, and that's oh for sure worth a lot more than because we talked mean, about Blade Runner twenty forty nine was the same thing, man. Like people shit on that movie when it came out for being like way too intellectual and like not accessible, and it didn't have enough guns and all this stuff. And now as time has crept by, it's like that's how you do big budget sci-fi. We saw the echoes of that in Dune where like they made a very conscious choice to like this is not going to be just like wild ass fighting the whole time. There's going to be some combat just like in the book. But like a lot of this is going to be like stoic, wide angle, desert shots with like very stoic dialogue and like a lot of like heady intellectual concepts crammed in here to build a world that frank herbert did and dude they knocked it out of the park with dune like so i feel like it can be done you talked a little bit about avatar and i think that that would have been in a way one of the easiest films to ever direct you said it's hard because you have to take a lot of source material and cram it into an hour or two hours yeah just as a I general agree, I, task i find that difficult yeah. but i agree with you that well, you could have made that a much better a lot easier for sure well i think that i think that even an amateur like i'm gonna rip on in my Shyamalan here i think an amateur screenwriter could make it a very good film if they hey have you made lady in follow, the water bro god please stop. <laughs> um all they have to do is follow one rule which is like choose only choose a small amount of the story to follow and follow it closely. Like, yeah, you know, for using avatar as an example, like show the first two episodes where Aang is re is, you know, comes out of the iceberg show like meeting Zuko and then maybe show them going to the air temple and then show the final bet that they added a few scenes for episodes that were like very, very low. Like some of the least important episodes of the entire series they tried to do. And then it just, they weren't able to spend the time to draw out the characters as much, and they did not do a good job of following like what made these characters great, like down to like the dialogue, down to like what drives them. And I've I, never we made it through this. that movie ever. Every single time I get to about the same point, which is Aang appears, he meets the the brother and sister, they go through a whole bunch of shit, and then like I think it's like twenty five minutes into the movie, he's like, "By the way, my name's." Ang or Ang or however he pronounces it. Yeah, he mispronounces it. it, yeah. Which one he mispronounces, but two, like they introduce themselves to you. You guys have now started a long adventure together. And then then finally he tells him his name and it always strikes me as an insanely weird decision. Like in the writing. It's so bad, dude. That he like waits. Why wouldn't he just tell him his name when they tell that, when they tell him their names? I don't understand that at all. Like you'd be like, if you're like, hey, I'm Sam, like, Cool. Hey, you want to go see a movie? Sure. Then we go see a movie, and as we're walking out, I'm like, by the way, I'm Andy. You'd be like, cool, you're a serial killer. I'm never talking to you again. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah. I mean, dude, okay, so the, the the best example I can give is, like, in the show, in the cartoon, Aang has a phenomenal entrance because, you know, he's in the iceberg, and there's this, like, huge triumph, triumphant, like, the, the light goes up, and he comes out of the iceberg, and they're kind of crowding around him, and his eyes immediately pop open and he asks, and I'm going to misquote it, but it's, he's like, do you want to go ride penguins? And it's like super playful. And they're like, what? And then he like jumps up and he's like really like a, a total child. And so it's kind of, film, it's kind of like comparing, it's kind of uh, setting up a dichotomy between like the legend of the avatar is this like all powerful legendary 100%. being. And then like the child that he's been reincarnated into, which is what the entire show is about. The entire show is about this child who has been chosen to be this great warrior and save the world. And he doesn't want to do that. He doesn't, he, does, he just wants to be a kid. A yeah. He wants to be a kid. That's the entire show. And the fact that 
they missed that and they tried so hard to make it is he Jesus this movie is audience the, is that the the thing dude Jesus just wanted to ride just ride his air buffalo around well and, I just uh, I just mean from a perspective of like uh you know obviously there's like a big theme of like many Jews expected when the Messiah came, he would be like this warrior that would like throw the Romans out and like kick all their asses. And then Jesus showed yeah, up and he was that. like, actually, bro, not really about killing anybody. And they were like, some yeah. people were like, what? So like, I was just wondering, like that seemed to be a parallel. So not Could that that's not an often used, you know, trope in, yeah. in storytelling, but yeah, it struck me as just a question. Cause yeah. I know you, well, you're I think I, I bet in general, I know you're a fan like, of both stories. So I figured I'd ask. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think in general, it was more like, um, the typical, um, the hero that didn't want to be that's reluctant, like kind of the reluctant common. hero called upon to do great things. But, um, I, going back to ghost in the shell, I think that if I was tasked with writing and directing it, I would do what I'm saying for avatar, which is dude, I'm taking the source material and I am writing it almost verbatim, like down to the dialogue, down to every scene, but I'm just going to make it a little bit more badass in terms of the action, in terms of like the design, like, because this is an hour and 20 minutes, so it wouldn't be hard at all to be to turn this hour and 20 mi- minute movie to have every single scene be the exact same, but make it maybe 25 minutes longer with just more cool long shots when she's reflecting or like make the action scenes a little more punchy. That's all you have to do. That's all you have to do. And you have a masterpiece, a masterpiece. And they totally botched it. They, yeah. Well, actually, I can't say that because I didn't watch it. But from what it sounds like, it sounds like they botched it. If they didn't do what I just described, they botched it. Yeah, dude, like I said, it's it's upsetting because on one hand, they I don't think they made decisions that are hard to understand. Like casting Scarlett Johansson makes a lot of sense. Like you're you're getting this giant budget to make a sci-fi action movie for a western audience based on an anime. Like in in order to bring in an audience that isn't just people that like the anime, you need a big star, and there aren't that many female Asian stars that have that kind of pull. So Scarlett Johansson makes sense. You also have a story in which it's said very plainly that like human bodies don't matter that much. Like external looks are not that uh, special in the world of Ghost in the Shell. So it can be anybody. It could be, you could have made it, if you really wanted to make everyone mad, make it a white dude. I don't think that would have gone over well, but that could have been a choice if you wanted to make it. What I think makes it upsetting is that they decided to not only change the source from go away from the source material, but actually betray the source material because 100%. the what they came out with was a movie that is basically like phone bad, technology bad. Never sacrifice your yourself, you know, and you know always remember to preserve your humanity and yourself, yep. no matter what. And while Ghost in the Shell doesn't explicitly say the opposite, I think what it does do explicitly is say that that is a question, and we don't have the answer to it. Like, but they both are are both options are on the table, and it's up to you to make the decision. And we what we are saying as a movie is that one is not explicitly bad. Like the one that right. you may have been told over and over again is explicitly bad is not explicitly bad. And then the Scarlett Johansson movie came along and was like, no, it is. Like, <laughs> it's bad. <laughs> like, so. this is, Dude, this is the problem when you have people that don't understand the source material making the making the adaption. I was actually talking about this uh, with our guest on the episode uh, this week, Tiffany Lewis. When Tiffany was on, we were talking about adaptations and why they're, why they're not successful sometimes. And she made the point that, you know, sometimes 
they don't give us audience as the as the readers, like the people who know the source material. They try to please so many people that they don't just stay true to the source material, kind of what you're saying about Western audiences. And you have to, if you, if you make something that's great and you follow that, um, it's kind of like what we were saying about the manga in the side notes at the very beginning of this episode. Like, you can break the rule that's expected. Like, you don't have to make a movie for Western audience. If you do it well, people will... You know, if you build it, they'll come, right? Like, that has been proven time and time and again in artwork. Like, there are a lot of very well-revered movies that at the time were not what people thought they were going to be, but... In all mediums, man, well done, like, the example I always yeah. use is, um, you know, when, when the first Metal Gear Solid game came out, it was this, like, incredible change in how video games were made. Like, it was, like, the first time that someone was like, you can tell a real story with a video game. Like, you can make, effectively, mm-hmm. a movie-level story with a video game. And up until that point, it was, like, you know, Mario and Banjo-Kazooie. Like, those have plots, but, like, not a yeah. plot like Gone with the Wind has a plot. And so then Hideo Kojima came out with Metal Gear Solid 2, and it was, like, this super heady like, cyber future story about, like, the role that technology is going to play in our life and, like, all this stuff. And, dude, people hated it. They were pissed about the second game. They hated it so much. And now, 20 years later, it's viewed as a masterpiece. And he, because he did exactly what you're talking about, he broke every rule. People wanted to, like, play a solid snake, shoot a thousand dudes in the face, and instead he made a game where, where you don't get to play a solid snake. He plays a different character who's like the opposite of solid snake, and you don't get to shoot that many guys, and everyone was so pissed, and then now it's like, oh, actually, this is a fucking masterpiece. And that's that's what you need to do is, a, you know, if you have a really strong sense of artistic integrity and artistic identity where you can, like, read through that noise of, like, all the different things pulling you, I mean... Mm-hmm. It seems to happen so much with anime adaptations. Like, I have never watched the entire uh, Dragon Ball movie they made, but I've heard it described the as evolution. like... Yeah, oh, I've heard so it described bad. as like some suits read like three words of the synopsis of what Dragon Ball is about, and we're like, yeah, let's do that. And they're like... And then they just basically made Karate Kid with like hair and like fireball magic, and that was it. <laughs> like, yeah, and then, and then you can tell... I mean, and then they ran out of all of their budget, like nine-tenths through the movie because the final fight with Piccolo is, like, quite literally one of the worst scenes in a major picture that I've ever seen. Oh, that sucks, dude. Not that I'm, like, caping up for Dragon Ball and not holding that up as high art. Like, I'm not putting it on the same level as Ghost in the Shell, but... I know it means a lot to a lot of people, and it should have been done justice. There's there's a movie Dude, to be Death made Note. there. We we we've talked oh, about yeah. this in the chat a lot. Like Death Note's adaptation, they they tried to make it for Western audiences, and it's not that they ma- tried to make it for Western audiences. It's, a, it's that in doing so, like you said, in doing so, they they completely betrayed what the what the core of the source material is supposed to be about. Like it feels like they're just like oh. These fat McDonald's fed idiots will never understand this high art from Japan. Let's turn it into a Marvel movie. And then, of course, you're not going to be able to make a Marvel movie out of this. It's not supposed right. to be. So, right. yeah. Ugh, Final but, ranking. What do, you, what, do you, what do you got for this? Dude, I, I think I'm going to become a meme to our listeners. I'm just going to become like masterpiece guy that gives everything a 10. But we always do stuff that I love. And, ah, man, Ghost in the Shell is incredible. And... Yep. I think as a an overall movie, like if you're ranking it against like all of sci fi or something, it's like an eight. But I think as far as like animated films go, I think it's a ten. Um it's one of the most influential pieces of animation ever made. Um 
And for me, I put such a high value on the ability to make people think. And especially yeah. if you can make people think 20 years later, like it's one thing to make people like really sit down. Like the example I use is Crash. Like Crash seemed like really heady and interesting at the time. And then now looking back, you're like, oh, God, dude, this is real bad. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, and, and Ghost in the Shell is not that, man. But, like we are, uh, what? 27 years yeah 27 years since ghost in the shell came out and you still watch today and you're like damn dude like this was one way ahead of its time the questions are still super relevant and will probably be relevant for as long as human beings are thinking about their place in the universe so incredible yep 10 on animation eight on sci-fi yeah that's kind of where i'm at i'll i'll pretty much echo that uh as far as sci-fi, I kind of put it a little higher. I'm going to put it like an 8.5 just because I think it masters everything that you should love about a sci-fi film. It's got the use of technology is phenomenal. The I think it does a great job of with its pacing and the way they structure the story. The exposition to getting you to understand the technology in the world they live in is not overwhelming whatsoever. It, it's not like some of these other stories like akira or wherever we're like you have to pay attention and if you look down for 10 minutes you're going to be totally lost like that that, that's you're going to miss important conversation but you're not going to be like what is that thing you're not it's going to make sense to you right um so i think it's so well written um i think for a animated film like you know especially like a a, an anime film i put it at like a 9.8 like i i kind of struggled off the top of my head to think of a better one um so i firmly put it 9.5 to 9.8 feels pretty sound like it's it's just really the only thing i would have liked to have seen is i would have liked to have seen a little bit smarter dialogue with matoka when she's contemplating especially towards the end of the film i would have loved to see just a little bit more of that um and i and i would have loved to have seen a little bit more strain with the audience is like is the puppet master bad i would have loved to have seen maybe one more scene um, with the puppet master before the final encounter to maybe make us feel like we're not on its side. Um, that makes yeah, which sense, that so. is one thing they cut from the manga. They The puppet master does a lot more like devious stuff. Yeah. Uh, they spend a lot more time invested in the idea of convincing you the puppet master is a human, like it has human motivations seemingly. And yeah. then that's what makes gives the reveal of it not being human a little more punch. And also plays into the idea of like why would it be doing these things if it didn't have similar motivations to us as a li- as normal living things so it plays into that theme as well but i agree with you i think that could have been done more in the anime as well sick um all right good stuff now before we before we head out do you have time to talk about uh oscar i was just gonna ask are we gonna talk a little bit about oscar nomination let's, list? let's do some oscar stuff let me pull it up you know you, you know where uh you know where my loyalties lie this year <laughs> Uh, Belfast? If the movie Dune does not take home at least five Oscars, I will be doing the Fremen Weirding Way Desert Dance into the Academy with my sacred Gnome Gabar knife and throat slitting all of them, as is the way of the Fremen. Yeah, uh, I don't second that, but I, I, it's like they say, I, I don't agree, but I understand. I don't think it's going to win Best Picture, I think it has a very good shot at cleaning up for things like uh, costume, adapted screenplay, set design, production design, cinematography, editing. Um, I think it deserves all those. I don't think 
Dune, at least this section of Dune, is not enough of a character-driven piece to warrant like a it doesn't like i i thought oscar isaacs did an incredible job playing duke leto there's just not enough there to like make you win a best actor nomination you know what i mean and same with paul atreides like that's just not the kind of story you're telling so it's very difficult to like wrangle those kind of nominations out of it um the fact that it got nominated for best picture is awesome for a big budget i'm such a i love big budget sci-fi i want there to be more big budget sci-fi and so for it to even get that recognition, I think is important for the genre. Um, mm-hmm. As far as the best picture nominate nominees, uh, I've seen Belfast. So I'll read the list. It's Belfast, Coda, Don't Look Up, Drive My Car, Dune, King Richard, Licorice Pizza, Nightmare Alley, The Power of the Dog, and West Side Story. Um, yeah. Which seems like a lot of nominees, honestly. Um, it is, but, yeah. Uh, of those, I have seen Belfast, Don't Look Up, Dune, Licorice Pizza, The Power of the Dog, and West Side Story. Um, how good is How good is The Power of the Dog? That sounds interesting. The Power of the Dog is really fucking good, and I'm going to tell you right now, I would not be surprised at all if it this is like this year's Parasite that it like cleans up. I think yeah. this is definitely Benedict Cumberbatch's very real chance of winning a Best Actor Oscar. He really kills this role. Um, I love that Licorice Pizza got so much love, man. I did when I saw it. I love this movie. I didn't expect it to get this at all. It's a Paul Thomas Anderson movie. It deals with like a really taboo subject, which is like a relationship between like an adult and a child, like a sexual relationship between an adult and child. Um, so I'm very shocked that it's like getting all this, uh, all this critical acclaim it's really good it's just like it's a movie set in the 70s and like you know it's this like 15 year old kid dating like a 27 year old woman and kind of all that comes with that i have not seen uh nightmare alley or coda i've heard is really good i saw don't look yeah. up which i really liked but i cannot see that winning best picture i that's something i want to talk about um i like don't look up it is not it is not best no. best it's a, movie or it's like it's a also good got netflix best original sc- it, it's like a yeah. good Netflix movie. Um, yeah, I like the it's message. It's really it sends. good for that. It, yeah, yeah. I, it's it, it sends a great message. I think it's an important movie in some respects. If if you want to use that uh, it's terminology, super fun, but it's not like. But man, yeah. you put that up next to like the power of the like I, I like I said, go watch the power of the dog, and then tell me that like those two belong in the same sentence. Dude, the the one that makes me the most frustrated is is like King Richard. I we talked about on this pod how. I, I mean, I don't know if you ever got a chance around to watching it, but like, it's not like I would say if I was rating it on a scale of one to 10 from a writing perspective and just how enjoyable the movie is, I'd put it below a five probably. And I, so I'm, I, here's the, my thing with this movie. I know that people love this kind of story and this one in particular because of the, uh, mostly because of the, the baggage surrounding it. Right. Like, right. Cause Serena's a badass and their story. Serena's a badass. They yeah. dealt with, they dealt with a very different set of adversities than other people in this situation. And I don't know if it's just my gut or what, but I've always really detested the story of like the crazy robot dad that like forces their kid into like, like their dad's more a coach than a parent. And like, yeah, like, effectively operates in, in an abusive relationship and we write that all off as a good thing because the child becomes really successful and by all accounts i don't think venus and serena have any like lasting issues or anything like that and so it seems like this turned out fine i just don't really love the idea of like 
because you and I have both like been up to like the Allen Track Stadium and seen the dad that's up there with the five year old making him run tires, and you're just like, I don't yeah. want to give that dude any signal from society that like we approve of your actions i don't love dude, that even more even yeah i totally agree with you but even more than like social reasons dude like it's just it's it's a and i don't know if it is disney or not but it is like such a out of the can disney experience like the dialogue is just super straightforward like I, we were talking about the in our episode where we talked about the the, the 2021 recap there's scenes where a, an adult will walk up to, you know, Richard and just be like, you're pushing the kids way too hard. And he'll be like, you're wrong. You'll see. And then and they just shows them winning a tournament. It's like there's no showing. It's all telling throughout the whole damn movie. And it makes me it like makes me mad that it's well, is, even it, is it based on like a book play. he wrote or something? It came across that way as like he, it, it felt like a story that he got to tell effectively. And I was like, cause I feel like the real story, if you want to make this movie and you want it to be like important, you make it about the balance between like, like whiplash dude, like whiplash left in the audience being like, well, he was successful, but this guy was very much abusive. Like right. which side of that do we fall on? And you're left conflicted. Cause you're like, I don't think anyone should be treated that way, but is that necessary to achieve greatness? And you're left wrestling with that for months after you see that. That's the story that I think is worth telling about something like that. And instead, I feel like this is like you said, just like, nope, it was awesome. Like, <laughs> yep. I honestly, like, as we're kind of wrapping up, I'll, I'll say that um, I think it would have been significantly better to have, like, take King Richard out of both best movie and best original screenplay and put in No Way Home by Spider-Man, like, that is a significantly better screenplay and significantly better movie. Like objectively, like I'm, I'm throw the hate on Twitter at me because I will fight you on this. Like, it's just, it makes me upset. And I do think like, I, I, I don't understand it. I don't understand it. I'll just leave it at that. Like, How dare insane. they put house of Gucci up for anything, dude. That is the, that was such a disappointing movie to me. It's made about such an interesting true life story, and I found it just incredibly boring with an amazing cast, just a squandering of resources, yep. in my opinion. Because um, look at Gaga, man. She's yeah. the creative director at Polaroid. Yeah. What the F does Gaga know about cameras? Well, I mean, dude, they let Will I Am be the creative director of Hewlett Packard for five years, dude. I mean, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm quoting the Kanye thing. I oh, yeah. <laughs> well, but those are, those are reasonable questions, dude. Those are reasonable yeah. questions. Um, I still need to see Coda. I heard that's really good. Belfast is awesome. It's like the it's like a family drama about a family living in Northern Ireland in the '60s. Um, super worth seeing. But man, I'm gonna be rooting for Dune, dude. I love Dune. Power of the Dog is my probably Power of the Dog and Licorice Pizza are my my number two two A two B. But I'll be rooting for Dune. Most oh, definitely. you know what I said? I said Dune is going to win costume design. I forgot that Cruella is nominated. Cruella is like literally a movie about costume design and like every yeah. costume is Cassie super loved sick. it. That's what she told me. They're, they're not going to, I bet Cruella is going to win. Um, that makes sense. So, dude. I mean, that whole movie is just basically like her dressing up like it's Devil Wears Prada every single day and driving like 55 foot Rolls Royce the whole time, right? So it's good. It's, yeah, there and, you go. Let, put that in as another movie that that would have been a better best original screenplay or best uh or best movie like it would have been a better one than king richard for sure cool Dude, now, good stuff andy well now we'll see if uh man if uh if will smith pulls off like an oscar for that we'll have to come in and uh, on the next episode and lament the the collapse of the academy as an institution 
Well, and if he wins, if he wins Best Actor, I wouldn't even be that upset about it because he's like he's good. Like, I, it's it's not like crazy good, but that's one again. Don't like if yeah, if Will Smith gets rewarded for how he acted in that movie, I'm not going to nitpick at that because I'm not totally against. Hopefully, that shows that I'm being a little bit objective in this. Like, I'm not yeah. dogging the entire film. Like, there are good things about it, but it is not a good screenplay and it is not overall. Here's the, a good here's movie. the worst category: visual effects. Dune, Free Guy, which is just a cotton candy garbage movie. Yeah. No Time to Die, which is a great movie that, in my opinion, but I'm sad it's on this list. Shang-Chi yeah. and the Legend of the Ten Rings, which Ugh. sucks. And then Spider-Man yeah. No Way Home. Which For deserves, that reason. It's, which, it is like straight down the middle Marvel, like, let's re let's use all of our old animations. Like, yeah. Yeah, I, I would say Dune, if Dune does not win that one, that is a shame and then note with spider-man being the only one that could possibly challenge it yeah dune dune i'm really hoping dune really crushes for all the technical pieces because like i said it's just not a it's a great adaptation i'm hoping it wins best adapted screenplay i don't know if it'll win best picture i think what they'll probably do is the lord of the rings thing where like they'll give part you know whatever the last part is whether they squeeze it all into number two or they do a three-part they'll give the last piece its best picture nod um yeah but as of now, none of the none of the performances in it they were all great. They're just none of them are, are center stage enough to win one of the a, the acting awards. But I'm hoping it cleans up on the technical side of things because it is a gorgeous film for sure. Well, as always, Andy, thanks for thanks for this conversation. And yeah, man. if you guys have not watched uh, Ghost in the Shell, you need to. So most definitely. All right. Well, as always, thanks for listening to Novel Discourse. I'm Sam. I'm Andy. Peace. Peace.